Hey everyone, welcome back to the Swish Woodlet Podcast, which is of course proudly brought to you by our major sponsor, Swish, who give you the opportunity as a sports lover to get your very own personalised video message from your favourite sports star. It is super easy to use. The costs range from $300 down to $20, but the beauty of all that is that up to 70% of the proceeds go to Kiwi Kids Charities, which is pretty special. To order, head over to heyswish.com or follow the link below in the description. And don't forget to enter the code WATERLAD at the checkout for $15 off. This is a purchase that you will have no regrets about, so go get amongst it. Also, many of you will know Pure Sport have launched right here in New Zealand for all their non-CBD products where they have a wide range of nootropics, which is full of the best stuff you can give your body. If you listened to the Grace and Heart episode recently, you would have heard about some of the ingredients involved and how powerful some of these supplements are and just how important it is to get off these prescription drugs such as tramadol. To order, head over to puresport.com or follow the link below and you can also get 20% off this by using the code WATERLAD20. Lastly, grateful to have New Zealand's favourite horse trainer, Regan Todd from Todd's Racing, back on board and he is currently training future New Zealand Cup winner, WATERLAD. If you enjoy your horse racing and you're keen to get involved in this, there's about five shares left at 1k each. Uh, they have no ongoing fees and hopefully we have some absolutely priceless times on track winding home the great what a lad. If you're interested, flick me a message and I'll get the details sent out to you. As always, super grateful for the sponsors to help bring these episodes to you. If you enjoy the podcast, go support them. But really appreciate your support. Enjoy this episode. Shame. Oh, what a lad. Well, another treat for you all today with a lad like many young talents was labelled the next big thing after school, after captaining the New Zealand school side. But also like many, rugby took him on an incredible roller coaster with highs which saw him play professionally for the Turbos and Bay of Plenty and some lows which included some serious injuries, including concussion, which ended his career in his early 20s. He has been through plenty since and I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. He is the legendary lad. It is Papa Fadawera. Welcome, brother. Oh, kia ora, brother. Yeah, he takes one to no one. Um, you know, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Jimmy Marsh. Uh, thank you for having me here today, brother. Mate, thanks for reaching out and uh, being keen to come on. Uh, always helps me getting guests when guys are keen to come on. So, mate, it has been a while since we crossed paths, briefly at the Canes. But, mate, you're looking good. Fresh muckle too. Love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Oh, you know, I look probably that's probably the only change. Yeah. Oh, I actually, I, I tell a lie, there's a lot um, that. That's happened uh, since then. Uh, I think that was back in 2012, 2013. Yeah. Uh, it was probably when we last spent um, a bit of time together. But, um, yeah, life's, life's good, bro. Um, my family's healthy, I'm healthy, um, and things are uh, coming along really nice for us. Man, that's awesome. And you've been retired for, what, seven years now? That's crazy, eh? So how, how do you look back at your um, rugby career? Uh, yeah, seven years. Uh, 2015 or end of 2015 was when I decided to... Um, uh, close that chapter. Um, reflecting on it, oh, just a lot, the other day I was in the garage cleaning everything out and I stumbled across some old news, newspaper articles, some old photos. So it was um, a bit of a trip down memory lane. Yeah. And uh, quite recently, my wife and I in Wellington, so we actually went back to, to where we stayed during that time uh, on Plymouth Steps. 
And so um, it was good to, to acknowledge that, that part of our lives back then. So do you, do you look back on your rugby career with any regrets or things you sort of wish you did differently or how do you sort of feel about the whole thing? Um, yeah, yeah, for sure, bro. There's, there's probably uh, a few few moments or parts within my career as a rugby player uh, where I know things probably could have played out differently had um, you know my attitude been a little bit different. Um, I, I guess everything happens for a reason, or I know everything happens for a reason, and I'm quite content knowing that I, I did the best that I could uh, with the tools and knowledge that I had um, at that time. Um, but I, I do, there's kind of like this, all, uh, this little ember burning within inside me saying, you know, what if you, you had a go now in the, in the current mindset that you're in? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess there was always that, um, that longing to, to make our honours. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very blessed with where we are now. And um, all I can, I guess, say uh, looking back on that career was that I'm, I'm really grateful and, and fortunate to have all the experiences, make new friends, um, and the lifelong friendships that have, have come from that. So, yeah. Mate, that's so cool. A little ember too, mate. How good would it to see you back <laughs> out there with the turbos one day? <laughs> oh, yeah. I had the, the local club down here. The boys were keen to get me on to, to be a bit of a coach here at um, Tito Victory Club. But uh, we all know what that means, and uh, we'd rather play <laughs> than be a coach. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hear that. <laughs> but, mate, I'm pretty keen to get to your journeys. Like, obviously, it's a pretty cool rugby journey, a little bit different to a lot of the guys I've had on, but I know there'll be a lot of lessons in it um, for people listening. So pretty keen to start at the start, like always. Where'd you grow up? Uh, born and bred in the sunshine capital of Whakatane. Uh, attended uh, Te Kuroa Pāroa and then moved on to uh, Whakatane Intermediate. Uh, there's where the, the journey began, or my rugby career started uh, as a little butty boy, 12-year-old with a snotty nose, playing soccer my whole life. And then uh, actually I was forced to play rugby by an uncle of mine who was my teacher at Intermediate. And um, electives came around and uh, I selected horse riding because I, I just wanted to be a, a Melbourne Cup jockey. That was, that was like my ultimate goal. Yeah. And he said, uh, he looked at me, screwed up the paper and he said, nah, boy, you're playing Tom Mitchell and threw it away and I cried <laughs> and ran out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of like my intro to rugby, and um, I'll, I'll never forget the feeling um, when I had ball in hand and kind of bumped someone over, mm. and I, I just thought, wow, this feeling is amazing. So um, yeah, that's kind of where it all started. Where did your love for um, horse horse racing come from? Was that from a young fella? Because mate, I was, I was the same. I, one of my dreams was to be a jockey and win that Melbourne Cup as well. So that's crazy to hear that that was yours as well before you went into rugby. Yeah, bro, growing up where, like, um, well, before Whakatane started developing, especially in the commercial area, um, it was just surrounded in horses, paddocks, dirt mounds, so that was our playground. Yeah. Um, you know, and we'd always try and throw a leg over a horse, and not in that way either. <laughs> but, um, you know, have a bit of, bit of fun. But, yeah, I was, I was 49 kilo dripping wet. Yeah. Um, so I had the perfect stature of a jockey, yeah. you know, um, I'm all, what, five foot something. Yeah, so I don't know. That, that could have been a, a real, real exciting life, but um, hey, it wasn't for me. Is there a burning amber there to uh, give that a crack? Oh, my wife and I, because my wife, she's actually born in the other horse, oh, yeah. uh, in the Chinese Zodiac, and, and she, she grew up with horses, so uh, we hope to implement that back within our lives one day soon. That's exciting. I might see you um, 
riding home that Melbourne Cup winner in a few years. <laughs> oh, it might be a few horse sports titles first, but I'll, I'll stay in my lane, bro, and say I'm a, I'm a recreational rider. <laughs> yeah, but back to your footy journey. So you're, um, you're pretty good from a young age, were you, as soon as you pretty much picked up that ball? Oh, I, I just, um, I guess for me, like knowing now what it was, it was more of a release. Um, yep. I guess that feeling of, you know, you know the feeling when you just bunt someone off? Not and really, but... feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're probably on the other hand. I was on the other hand too. You're the one being bunted. But um, yeah, looking back on it, bro, it was like a, a release for me. You know, all the frustration, the anger, um, resent, mm. um, all of those emotions that were that I couldn't release at the time um, was was put through um, rugby, through codes. Mm. Um, you know, I, anyone will tell you that I was quite a bit of a... a, a quite a physical halfback. Um, I, I like the getting into those dark spaces. I like throwing the old punch here and there, you know, because I could get away with it yeah. you know, without going through the court of law. As, as you progress in, into professional rugby, the camera's on you and you can't can't quite do that anymore. So, um, yeah, that's, that, that was a, a massive release for me. So where was, all, where was all the anger coming from as a young fella? Did you... Was it from upbringing or did you just, you're just an aggressive person? Yeah, yeah, all of that, bro. Um, now, kind of where we are now, we, you know, we had to do a lot of that inner work to find out what that actually was. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, like um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, mental abuse, emotional abuse, you know, throughout your whole lifetime, bro. Mm. Um, and all of that, if it's, not, if it's not released, it actually stores within your body. You know, there's nowhere for it to go. So you can think of a time yourself, bro, where you wanted to cry, you wanted to, to smack someone in the face, all of those things, and you've you've had to hold it back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because because it's got nowhere to go, it's got nowhere else to go but in your body. So it becomes a part of who you are. Yeah, it's not only um, until recently that I've been able to dive into those depths of my subconscious where it's been forgotten um, and kind of go back to those memories or times in my life where I've had to... Um, Accept it, acknowledge it, feel it, release it, let it go from me because it doesn't serve me, mm. and then make a choice what to replace it with. Yeah, mate, love that. So rugby was like your real release. Uh, that's sort of why you loved it so much. You get out there, like you said, let off some anger. Um, I guess release all these emotions, and then obviously you're good at it too. So it became a bit of a um, cycle. Yeah, absolutely, and, and all the boys love it when uh, the gears come around too. You know? <laughs> um, that's, that's always a fun part of rugby. Um, but just, yeah, uh, I guess the comradeship as well, um, being a part of so many different teams, uh, the journey itself, mm. you know, winning's always a, a big part of it too. Um, just celebrating, uh, being in good company and just being a part of a team environment, that's, that's kind of what I, I like to, to do. So did you move to Rotorua just to play rugby? Because obviously it's a pretty well-known factory for um, producing pretty high-quality rugby players. Was that why you moved there? Uh, yeah, well, uh, my uncle actually wanted me to go to Hapa Folder. Oh, yeah. And um, another uncle of mine stepped in and said, no, nah, boy, no opportunity there. You'll just be a toilet seat warmer. <laughs> so he said, uh, to do a boys. And um, as a 12-year-old, I made that decision um, to go to the hostel. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, my parents were um, lucky enough to be in a position to support my desire to attend Aotearoa Boys, and um, that's when I was shipped off. But yeah, I spent probably two, three years in the hostel. I think uh, when I was fourth form, I ended up 
going over to England uh, over in Cornwall in a city called Truro uh, and schooled there for about three or four months. Uh, that was for rugby as well. Um, had a little bit of involvement with the, the St. Ives club over there. Um, a little 14-year-old bumping over grown men. True. Uh, and then I got to see the Cornish Pirates play yeah. over there. So it was, um, yeah, really cool. So what were you, what were you playing, like um, club rugby at 14? I was playing school rugby. Yeah. Um, but then I'd go to the Premier club rugby training and just um, <laughs> get, get stuck in there. Yeah, it was good, good fun, bro. Mate, you must have been unreal to be able to even think about competing with grown men at 14. Yeah, well, I guess that's been me my whole life because I've been, you know, I'm, I'm only a small fella. Um, I've, I've always had to try and, I guess, prove myself you know, keep up with the big boys mm. in, in a way. So, yeah, it's, it's only just brought out the best of me, really, um, when, I, when I look back on that. So your last year at school, um, obviously, must have been pretty successful because you did end up, like I mentioned in the intro, captaining the New Zealand school side, which is a massive achievement. Um, once you've got that tag, um, you get opportunities come to you pretty quickly. So what was that last year of school like for you? Uh, yeah, that last year was really... Um, yeah, it was really a uh, full on. Uh, we had we had made it. I think we beat Tauranga Boys in the the playoff, and it was eight seven. Um, and that they they had the best forward pack in the country. They had Sammy Kane on the open side. They had Carl Axon at number eight, and uh, a guy George Doig at blindside. And yeah, we we, we skunked them eight seven to to go to the top four, uh, and of course lost to Hamilton Boys. But yeah, yeah, we uh, made the NZ. And the 17th team as well that year. And also that was when they introduced the uh, the Chiefs schools. Um, and, and I guess whether it was by luck or by chance, um, Carl Axons was our captain for schools and he, he fell to a, a pretty horrific injury uh, in one of our games against the Waikato on the 19th squad. Mm. Um, and then uh, the coaching staff at, at the time thought that it would be best for me to take over. Um, it was, it, we felt that loss. Like um, something crazy because Carl was a, or well, Carl is an amazing player, mm. and the leadership qualities that he has was just you know top of top of the top of the line. Did you feel comfortable stepping in as captain once you get that tag? Did you feel confident to do it? Uh, I, I actually didn't. Um, I, I just wanted to be a part of the boys, mm. and I always have been. And looking back, you know, I've always always been put in um, situations where the limelight was on me or roles of leadership and. I never really wanted it at the time. Um, although I accepted it, it was kind of like, I, yeah, I wasn't quite ready to, to step up. Well, I, I just wanted to be part of the boys because we all know when you're in these, these positions of leadership, you, you're kind of separated from the what goes on with the boys, if you know what I mean. Um, but that's all I wanted was just to be to feel like I, I belong um, and to fit in with the boys. Mm. And then what was your and, pathway guess, post that, post that, playing for the New Zealand schools? Uh, so actually me and TJ, we had this, this plan, bro. And, um, he was hating on, on playing halfback at the time down at Mana. Oh yeah. And, um, so we were kind of organizing that he would come to the boys, play 10, I'd play nine and would just rip shit up, you know, <laughs> um, and do all these wonderful things. Um, however, I think that's when he got offered his contract with, uh, Wellington and the Canes. Oh yeah. Um, I, I guess that kind of around that time was when uh, contracts started really kicking off for schoolboys. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, we were getting like the likes of TJ and Sammy signing up with Super Rugby. It was, it was quite a big thing at that time. Uh, this was back in 2009. And um, yeah, so I, I ended up um, deciding to leave school. Uh, my attendance at school was pretty poor. I had UE level three, so I was just like, I don't need to go to class. I'll just focus on rugby yeah. in my last year. So I did that. Um, yeah, so there was a bit of an incentive uh, for me. Turn up to class or don't come back. So uh, I didn't go back. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up uh, signing with Waikato on a PU contract there. And uh, they enrolled and paid for my study, uh, sport and exercise science. Um, things didn't work out in study. I think I did one semester and I ended up working for Graham Bowen, who was the CEO of Waikato at the time, um, helping on his his uh, horse farm, raising fillies oh, for the Tekaraka sales. So that's, uh, that's kind of how things went there. Um, played for Hotapu, awesome club, um, full of support. Um, Adam Poker, aka Venom, was our coach at the time. Well, we had some greats there. We had um, Sumo, Keith oh, uh, Lowen. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the team was, was packed. Uh, Bill uh, Fifey. Um, yeah, some old battlers there still chugging away in their late 30s. Um, Romana Graham was there too. Uh, Tawara just, just made the All Blacks, I think, that year. So, um, yeah, I got a lot of lot of starting time there at Hotapu. And then did you join the Army at some point? It must have been around the same time, was it? Yeah, yeah. So um, I kind of went through the grades and Waikato made the NZ under oh, the um, Waikato on the 20s team, played that comp and then made the, the trial team for the NZ under 20s. Um, in my opinion, was the by, by far one of the greatest teams, yeah. uh, I think the 2010. And uh, I think that was the first time when I went to that camp uh, that I had missed the timing. Uh, it was a stretching session in the morning at 7.30 and I stepped in. And, and not once in my career that had I ever did that. True. Yeah, and it, you know, awesome. We did our outdoor pursuit challenge and whatnot. And, and then I, I returned back to Waikato. And I actually uh, sat in front of Chris Gibbs. He called me into his office and he said, he just looked at me, you know, he sits here like this rubbing his chin and he just had this contract and he threw it in front of me and he goes, this is yours if you make the NZ under 20. And um, I just sat there and I was just like, if you, if this is all you want me for, then nah, you can get stuffed. You know, I felt like I wasn't appreciated at all. Yeah. Like just because, you know, if I missed out on the team that I wasn't good enough, you know, so I kind of just thought, nah, I'm sick of this, all this, this politics in this game, I'm done. So I, I just left, um, I left Hamilton and went back to Rotorua on, on, on the old lady's couch and um, kind of went through a, a real boozy, boozy stage of my life where I was just drowning my sorrows, really, and kind of all my frustration and everything. Um, but, yeah, that, that's kind of how that ended. And um, back in 2008, I had applied for the NZ Army and I, I thought, oh, I'll follow that up. And, um, yeah, met my, my now wife. Uh, wasn't wasn't long. I think a month into our relationship, she fell pregnant, True. and then uh, I was away on on my basic training, twelve weeks in Wauru, uh, and I left left her uh, for the first first and second trimester. Mm. Mate, that's crazy. So Chris Gibbs, you get a contract from Chris Gibbs. You didn't didn't feel appreciated, and you're willing to just walk away from. Your rugby career, pretty much, was it at the time? Were you thinking this is this is almost me done? I don't really care about rugby anymore. Yeah, pretty much, man. And like back in that in that space, like I had a lot going on. Like study was 
wasn't helping at all. You know, like the five five a.m. wake ups to go to the gym. I know everyone does it, yeah. But everyone's different, and it was taking a toll on me. Um, our flat uh, probably wasn't the healthiest environment either. But yeah, just a lot of just life, bro. Life in general. Um, you know, a, a young seventeen year old. Uh, leaving school into a flat, studying, trying to pursue his rugby career, all of these compounding like pressures, bro, was just too overwhelming for me, and I just, I just spat the dummy, and I, and I know that wasn't Chris's intent. Mm. Um, you know, it was probably more of an incentive for me to kind of chase that and, and kind of use it as motivation to mm. to push myself. Mate, were you only seventeen at the time? Far out. That's still so yeah. young, eh? Yeah, I was seventeen, turning eighteen. So. Um, yeah, I was I was young. I was just a baby. Far out. And and then what you you spoke about like the sort of drowning your sorrows. What did that sort of look like um, as a seventeen year old on your mum's couch? Were you? Well, I actually through that whole year in two thousand and ten, bro. I I, had, I made a bet with um, Adam Poker, and uh, that was to not drink. Yeah. So I went pretty much the majority of the whole year, and I do owe you a dinner, uh, Venom. Oh, I'll get there, bro. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the price, you know. If I lost the bet, I'd take him to dinner, and if I did it, then he'd take me to dinner. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so I went the majority of the year um, alcohol free, and I guess that stopped me from socialising as well. Mm. Um, but when I did hit the drink, oh man, um, we all know about the shed by Timmy and uh, Nazar. Yeah. Uh, we had some good good memories there, and um, yeah, man, I was just a loose cannon. It was it was not a not a good time. Uh, yeah. So when you went, when you did drink, was it just you couldn't stop or what did it actually look like? Couldn't stop, bro. I was kind of, yeah, yeah, just like didn't really give two shits about anyone or anything. Mostly I didn't care about myself. Mm. Uh, I guess I was just going through a period of of of, um, of sorrow and I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, so the best way was to spend it with my family and just drink. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think I one at one stage throughout Christmas, the Christmas period, I, I don't remember being sober for at least a week. Right. It was just um, day after day, or probably a week, even even more. Um, we all just drunk every day. So how um, how do you get out yeah. of that? Like, because um, you 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 do end up making the turbo um, somehow from this little rut. So how did you get out of that? Yeah, yeah. So. Um, Long story short, I finished my training. Um, my wife and I ended up in Palmerston North and Linton there. Um, I started my core training as an engineer in the Army, finished that, and on completion, um, one of my bosses, Lyle Mooney, Lilo, he, he bowled up to me, and he said, Sapa oh, Whare, and I was standing there at attention. I said, oh, yes, I made it. He said, uh, do you know who Jason O'Halloran is? And I said, oh, uh, yep. And he said, oh, he wants to know if you want a contract. And then I, uh, I quickly said, I said, oh, no, thank you. And I walked away, I, you know, just took off. And he said, oh, get back over here. <laughs> and so uh, I came back and he said, um, you know, he, uh, he told me that um, Aaron Smith has just made the All Blacks and he's looking for a halfback. Um, and he started to go on about the club and, what, you know, how I could maybe help out and da-da-da-da. And long story short, he said, oh, well, think about it and get back to me, eh? Um, so that's exactly what I did. I went home and I spoke to my wife. Um, we just had our, our newborn baby. And I just said, hey, mama, um, Bogues wants to know if, if I want a contract. And she just looked at me and she, she said, uh, up to you, dad. 
just don't be a coulda, shoulda, woulda. And that was all she said. Yeah. And um, so I, I, I accepted that offer. Yeah. And what was it like going into the environment? Uh, it was exciting. It was really exciting. Um, definitely something that I had, I wanted to make, of course, you know, you kind of, you make it. Mm. Uh, I knew that was a stepping stone. Uh, yeah, that was 2012. Um, same, we had heaps of old heads. We had Crozzy in there. We had uh, all the boys. Um, but it was really cool. Uh, um, getting to play with like uh, Junior, Tomasi Tama. Um, it's kind of like, you know, when you're starstruck as a kid watching all these players yeah. and you're like, yeah, I'm playing with them now. Yeah. Um, it was just real humbling and it was kind of like a, a sense of achievement and accomplishment. And so I just got stuck in. That year, that year was all about me taking that opportunity. Um, because it was one that I thought had slipped through my fingers and, and at the same time balancing uh, work life as a soldier as well. So that was quite challenging. And then you obviously mm. went pretty well um, that year, first first crack in there because like you mentioned at the start, that was when you got a call into the Hurricanes as a, was it a wider squad sort of contract or development contract? Yeah, yeah, there was, there was, I sparked quite a bit of interest. Um, I knew a couple of games that the Saders were, were looking at me as well. Um, and then in that game too, uh, concussion got, got the better of me. True. Um, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that, mm. but, um, yeah, yeah. So the Canes, uh, Alama at the time, he said, um, I've got, I think we had about five halfbacks that, that year, eh? Yeah. Um, and all of them were injured. And so, um, he said, oh, I, I kind of, I kind of need you. Um, do you want to come down on a, on a wider, um, just to, to help us out? And, and whatever, so yeah, I, I gladly accepted that, and that's how I got down there. It was it was a bit of a funny, funny feeling. Like I wasn't quite settled in, in I guess what had happened there. Mm. Um, whilst I was a part of the team, I, I felt like I I wasn't. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. Do you want to dive into that? To that uh, get into it, there, mate. Jimmy? Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, right, right kind of like right from the get go, eh? Um, you know, the team was to assemble on Sunday to have team photos and all that stuff, and I kind of got the or like, you don't come type vibe. Yeah. Um, just turn up on Monday, ready to go. Um, so I was just kind of like, oh yeah, sweet as you know, here's me, just a, a newbie to the scene. Mm. All good. Um, accommodation that was a whole another a whole another kettle of fish. Like, I think our baby was about ten months old at the time, and um, I think it was me, Callum Gibbs. Uh, uh, Zico, Ash Dixon, um, and who was it? The old battler from Hawke's Bay, um, Mark Abbott. Mark Abbott, yes, <laughs> one of the greats. Yeah, yeah, one of the greats. Um, yeah, we we ended up in the in a penthouse yeah. on Tory Street for for about a week or two, and then we got shipped shipped to another apartment, and then um, my wife and I ended up getting that apartment down uh, Plumber Steps. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that was that was really cool. Um, but man, 10 month old, you know, we were getting thrashed six or almost seven days of the week. And all I wanted to do was rest. My wife at home was just like, I want to get out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, so that you had that going on, that whole family dynamic and, and trying to achieve balance there. You know, I couldn't sleep. I was, I was in a deep depressive state. Um, just from all these life pressures. Um, you know, I was still employed by the army, uh, still having to be a husband. Or not a husband, a fiance at the time, a father, trying to juggle rugby and my commitment to rugby, um, new environments, all of these things. Mm. So I was 
quite under the pump. I couldn't sleep. I was waking up probably eight to ten times a night. I ended up getting uh, prescription medications to help that. Um, I was having anxiety attacks, panic attacks before every training, um, and I blamed it on the protein because uh, I, I before then I never really took protein. So um, yeah, just a whole lot of like a roller coaster of emotions, bro. It was just just crazy. And then, um, like you said, hey, you probably wouldn't have guessed that I was in that state, but man, I was, I was, I was probably bottom of the pit suicidal uh, during that time. True, absolutely no idea uh, for me looking at you at the time coming in. You're always like real energetic, friendly sort of guy, and then to hear that's pretty crazy. And so, what did those um, panic attacks look like? Like, what what's that actually look like heading to training and you're having a panic attack? Um, you know, bowling up to training is kind of like a gulp, you know, here we go again, um, kind of, you know, all those, those feelings of self-doubt, um, fear of the unknown, um, kind of second-guessing yourself, not knowing if you're good enough. Yeah. Um, I, and I know part of how I ended up there may have contributed to that, um, you know, feeling kind of left out a little bit, all of those things, you know, or kind of maybe questioning your own self-worth or my own self-worth at the time. Um, you know, so so what it'll feel like is it, you know, I'll get ready, boot up in the changing shed and start walking out and it just felt like my heart and my guts wanted to jump out of my throat. Like just like real bad indigestion, like I wanted to spew but nothing wanted to come out. It was like really gassy. Yeah, uh, my heart rate uh, heart rate was elevated. Um yeah, I just I just did not want to be there. And then um as soon as we started, then those nerves all settled down. Mm. Yeah, and then you go and storm into Davy Gray's office and blame the protein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro, yeah, bro. I know, right? And it was, you know, nutrition was uh, quite a big thing at the time. I think we were burning through about, well, well over three and a half thousand calories a day. Mm. And um, yeah, bro, it was quite easy to, to pick on protein because that's <laughs> the only thing that that I changed in my in my diet. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think back to to that time as well. I'm um, sitting in the changing room, and I actually. Uh, I resonated a lot with uh, Ray Lilo, um, mm-hmm. you know, because he's a, he's another legend, and I I actually have a lot of time for Ray. For Razor, he was a, an awesome bloke, and he was quite open and sharing with how he felt. Um, so we used to have these little little secret discussions with each other, you know, kind of talking about how we feel, mm-hmm. um, and and you know, just supporting each other. Uh, he'd always raid my lunchbox. <laughs> 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 nah, but massive, massive love and um, yeah, really, really grateful for his support during that time. Mate, but there is so much pressure on, especially those pre-seasons are so tough, eh? Like you say, it was sort of six days of brutal, brutal training and then trying to balance the, the family life, man. It is it's a bloody hard job, eh? Absolutely, bro. And like, you know, there's so much support there and yes, I guess people would feel like they don't, they're not supported. Mm. And I guess it's not so much in the, in the space of having, um, you need this, here, take that. It's kind of like more, more mentally. Um, and I guess from a, as a holistic approach to, to wellbeing. Um, yeah. Cause, cause how do, how do you help someone who can't really explain what they're going through mm. when it's new to them? Yeah. You're not gonna, you're not really gonna ask for help, are you? Cause you don't even know what help looks like mm. or, or, what can help you, um, but yeah, definitely navigating that in a mental space um, psychologically was was probably the, the overarching challenge uh, during that time. 
And you mentioned suicidal thoughts. Like, how often were you having those sort of thoughts? Um, yeah, I've traced back, bro, and, and the first time I, I thought about suicide was actually when I was 12. Oh. Um, you know, so, so, and that's probably earlier. I, I haven't quite dived deep enough, but 12 is, is definitely, as a 12-year-old, I was, I was thinking of suicide then. And actually, it became a, a place of, of comfort for me. Um, like, I knew I'd never, ever take my life. Suicide became my mate or became my buddy because it understood how I felt. Mm. Um, yeah, so every time I was, I was quite happy to go to those dark spaces because I knew I knew how to navigate it. You know, I could sit there quite happily in a dark, depressive state. But the most unfortunate thing was how it affected my family and others because I just permeated that darkness, you know, unknowingly and, and not because I wanted to, but because that's where I found solace. The, the scary part for me was actually addressing the issues as to why mm-hmm. I'd get to those states. That was the scary part. That's what scared the shit out of me. So yeah, I was, I was quite familiar, bro. So it was, it was no, like, this is a first time thing. That was my, my place of my safe haven. Mate, and it, it's pretty scary. Like, uh, I actually was at a dinner the other night with Mike King, who was speaking about how many kids have suicidal thoughts coming through school and all the stats around the New Zealand um, suicide rates. Mate, it's, it's pretty scary when you look at it, like how common it is and how little is being done about it. Absolutely, bro. And um, it's, it's not putting blame on anyone, but I guess that's the environment that our children are raised in, that we have a lot of people, a lot of parents, um, including myself, because I've, I've walked through that too, mm. that have a lot of trauma and underlying issues that they fail to, to address. And, and I guess you, you think about when you're a child, going back to who's your biggest influence in your life, it's your mum and dad. Mm. You know, they, they pretty much instill the values that they have into you. Um, and, and some of those values uh, can be, uh, I guess, negative. They, they don't serve you in a positive way. Um, it's not an, only until you're an adult where you start to question these things and, I guess, ask the questions, why or why do I react this way? Why am I triggered? Mm. Um, why am I abusive? Why do I fall to alcohol all the time? And um, quite often you can look back to the way you were raised um, and, and there's a lot of answers there. Mm. Um, same again, like I said before, um, all of these things that you experience as a child because you don't know how to express it or you're told, oh, don't cry, boy, harden up. They become a part of who you are as an adult. So what was your escape in while you are at the Canes? Were you hitting the booze or what were you, what were you up to? How were you coping with it all? Uh, so my escape was actually the sea. Um, yeah, I, I'd go diving. I'd take my family diving with me. That was, that was the only place that I could go to, um, to, to feel like a, a small fish in a pond again, yeah. to, to feel like the weight of the world is lifted. Um, you know, just straight back, took me back to my connection with, with the tile, with, with nature, to, to be at one with everything, to close off the noise, um, to find peace, peace and serenity in my mind. Um, through being, um, I guess, just a small part of, of something greater. Mm. Um, and, and at the same time, uh, a bonus was getting a kite for my whanau, uh, which my, my wife and my daughter enjoyed. But a power, but a crayfish um, always went down well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so your pathway from the canes, you're back to the turbos. And I get, I'm guessing this when your pretty uh, bad run of injuries start. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I guess that was because during my time spent at the Cane, um, I had kind of planted the seed that 
I didn't want to play rugby anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't want to be, this, this wasn't the environment that I wanted to surround myself in, full of ego, um, full of, uh, I guess, backstabbing in a way, mm. you know, mates that who you thought were your mates, um, make the starting 15 and then you're, you become a no one. Mm. Um, you know, you get injured and then you kind of fall off the wagon and no one really cares about you anymore. Yeah, so that, that's kind of, I was just like, ah, oh, no, this ain't me, this doesn't speak to me. Um, and, and that's probably because I couldn't stand in my own truth. Um, you know, I, I couldn't express who I was um, because I was in that, in that mindset of self-doubt and all those things. Um, now, I, I'd love to be put back in that environment. I, I, I'd thrive, I'd, I'd understand my position there and how to navigate that um, fine. Um, but yeah, ended up back, back in Palmas North. And yeah, you're right. That's when all my injuries came. I did my ACL. Um, I fractured my orbital wall. I've got three plates in my face now. Uh, I ended up doing uh, syndesmosis in my right ankle. So ripped the ligaments that hold my tib and fib apart. Oh, this goes on, bro. And concussion was probably the biggest, biggest issue. Hands down, concussion. When did the concussion start? Uh, same again, bro. Concussion started from a really young age through high school. Yeah, but by the time I left high school, I probably had about a dozen concussions to my name. Uh, I remember one game uh, playing against Hamilton boys uh, away, and I got knocked out twice in that game. It's even it was even recorded on video. Sure. Um, all because I wanted to make New Zealand schools. Um, and I remember the game before that. Uh, I, I sorry, two games before that, I got concussed. And I made an active decision to, to stand out of the next game before the Hamilton game so that I can recover for it. Mm. Um, but that meant I'd missed out on my 50th game for um, the, the Rokura jersey. But yeah, yeah. so concussion, bro. We walked out of, out of high school with concussion. Again, concussions in Hamilton and club rugby. And then stepping into uh, semi-professional, professional rugby where things are a lot faster uh, people are a lot stronger, quicker, the impact is, is greater. Um, and being the halfback that I was, mm. the one who likes dark spaces in those rucks, um, yeah, my head got a, a bit of a thrashing. Um, I remember one game getting elbowed in the, in the chin by a player, and uh, this was the, the, against counties. And uh, one of my eyes was normal, and the other, the ground level was right up. Um, so I went into the shed at half time saying, um, you know, this is what's happening. Uh, I don't think I can continue. And then just being asked. Um, and, I, and I know I can say this, um, and there's no, again, no blame or, or resent against um, the coaching staff at the time. Um, but they just asked me if I could give it 10 more minutes. And, um, you know, I could have said no, but I said, yep, yeah, I can do that. Fielded, jump back on the field, bro. Baden Kerr was a kicker. I couldn't see any one of their faces from standing where I was as a halfback. Baden Kerr just popped this thump of a, of a restart on me, bro, and it just went straight through the, the bread basket, and I was just like, nah, get off the field. Mm. Um, I've had pre-season games and in-season games where I've, I've taken blows and my head just felt like it wanted to explode. Um, and my last in 2015 with the Steamers, uh, yeah, just a, just a full contact training, Got tackled, uh, landed on my side, my head hit the ground like so, and same thing, immediately my head just felt like I wanted to explode. Um, that's when I kind of thought, shit, I better take a look at this and, and take things a bit more seriously. 
Mate, concussion's such a scary thing, eh? Like, um, far out. That's that's a pretty brutal concussion history. Were you aware of the risks going back on the field? Like, as a young filly, were you aware of the risks? What was it associated with concussion? Um, the education was there, but I guess you know, as a, as a rugby player trying to trying to crack it, yeah, you know, you'll do yeah. whatever it takes. You'll do whatever it takes. So, you know, we can blame NZIU for whatever processes and stuff that they're putting in place, but. Us also as players, we we need to be accountable and be responsible for actually saying, "Nah, I'm not all right," mm. and I and I and I truly value my health and well-being. So I'm going to make the decision not to go back on the field. We can't just leave it all in the hands of the NZIU to say, "Well, your concussion tests are failing us because oh, I get concussed and I still pass them." Mm. You know that's that's rubbish. Um, we we also need to take responsibility of our own health. Um, so so yeah, it's it's. it's not there's no one to blame. I guess it's just um, understanding that both of us play um, crucial parts in making those decisions. Um, but we we try and do our best to support each other and how we can best manage that. Hundred percent, mate. You see it all the time, and I, I know it's improved a lot since probably back when uh, you were taking these knocks. But um, I still don't think we're there yet. There's still a lot of guys who I know um, can you can you can beat the system if you want to. I mean, a lot of the questions yeah. are. How are you feeling? How's your head? Are you feeling normal? And if you're saying yes to all of those, but you're not feeling right, you're obviously yeah. um, you, you're just cheating yourself at the end of the day, isn't it? Because it is your head. But your head, you, I mean, your memory and stuff, you seem like still right on with all of that. Haven't got any side effects from concussion now? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of a, well, I, I don't know. What are the long-term effects? You know, I, I've yeah. battled uh, quite a, a long time. Uh, with short-term effects, you know, like sensitivity to light, real sensitive to loud sounds and, and all the rest of it, you know, migraines and headaches, all, all of the symptoms that actually took a long time. Even my mood, you know, was that part of the reason why I'd, why I'd go into the, the state of depression. Mm. You know, my wife often challenged me, like, you know, at your head, you know, um, all these concussions is taking a toll on you. I'm sick of this, you know. She 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 copped a lot, bro. Um, mm. She copped uh a shitload from me um but yeah it was it was it was kind of kind of hard to pinpoint how concussion has affected me or continues to affect me because i guess we haven't reached that stage yet yeah. but what's important is that i actually made a decision to stop because i found that it was taking less um less of a blow for me to feel uh rocked or, or get a little bit tipsy mm. Um, so yeah, you know, because because as a player, bro, when you put all your eggs in, in in one basket trying to crack it as a rugby player, um, that's all you're focused on. Yeah. So I mean, you are gonna lie, and I put my hand up now and say that I lied many times, and that's probably why there's insufficient um, data or history medically to support my application uh, to the benevolent welfare fund. Mm. Um, but that's also understanding that kind of like the you either make it or break break it type thing yeah. so of course you're going to do whatever it takes to, to put yourself in a in the best position to to make the teams to get exposure um so yeah so talk talk to me about that fund that you mentioned there like what what is that fund and what do you have to do to um, receive money from that fund um firstly bro i'll start by saying um it was, it, for me applying for this fund was never ever about money yeah. it was um kind of to highlight uh what i see are some of the commonalities or common issues shared amongst players um, regarding player welfare because um, I sure as hell don't want anyone to go through the same journey or pathway that I have 
uh, through rugby. It's to a point where I don't even encourage my nephews or any of my whanau to play because mm. I just don't know um, if their, their safety is well, if their safety is paramount, really. Mm. Um, but So this welfare fund um, is established by the NZRPA, uh, the Players Association for Players Who Are Contracted. I think there's many different reasons you can apply for it, but in, in my case, it's for a career-ending injury. Uh, which can be resolved through concussion or any other injury. Um, but yeah, so so I, I actually never wanted to apply for this. Um, it was I took the, the ABs out white baiting a couple of years back, and um, they invited me to dinner. And yeah, yeah, they they I got kept, got chatting and caught up before the boys, and it was two Sams, Sammy Kane, Sammy Whitelock. They kind of concussion jumped into the mix, and then um, I had mentioned about my concussion. They were like, Nah, bro, you got to apply for this. You 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 were contracted. You're you're entitled for it. the support that you received was wasn't the flashiest, and and um yeah, you, you definitely deserve this. Mm. And I, I kind of stressed too. I was like, oh, it's not about the money, you know. I'm, I'm we're quite happy. We have everything that we we need in our lives at the moment. And then they kind of hammered home about, well, what about everyone else? You know, what what about everyone else that are going through a similar position or don't know don't have a voice? Um, they don't know how to navigate this, this space and just give up. Um, what about the change to the system to to prevent this from happening in, in future cases? Mm. So that's that's kind of my reason behind um, behind applying, um, because I guess either way um, a precedence will be set. Um, it's quite clear, and I know um, there's a lot of rugby players out there um, that would support, I guess, my view and take on this. Mm. And how's the application gone? Um, it's it's. We all know it's, it's quite a, a slow and, and arduous task. Uh, there is a bit of a process to, I guess, putting your, your case forward. Um, and, and, yeah, Rambo, uh, Mark Ramby, absolute legend. He's been um, one, of, one of a guy, a hell of a guy, helping me through that process, um, even just as a sounding board and kind of um, resonating with what a lot of, um, of, of the court or that I had to say. Um, he also supported and agreed. Um, we've managed to come up with a few ideas as well to kind of um, help negate or, or address some of these issues. Um, one in particular was around the medical documentation of, of rugby players. Um, one of my concerns was like, why is it that until you make a semi-professional professional level that your health becomes relevant? Mm. You know, what about your, your career as a JAB player, as a high school player? You could have received X amount of concussions throughout that period, but it only becomes relevant when you become professional. Mm-hmm. And part of that too is that every team has a team doctor and those team doctors change all the time. So all your medical history and your records just bounce around with different practices, with different doctors. Um, there's, it's not centrally located where we can just go, uh, NZRU, I need my medical history, please. They pull up your file and, and there'll be your history. It's not that easy. I've I found myself jumping around between eight different doctors trying to trying to get some some evidence. So yeah, you know, we, we thought, well, how can we? Well, what's what's the solution? A simple solution to help support players in that space. And it was it was something simple like carrying a diary, like you know, like a farmer who has a notebook and he writes down everything that happens on the farm. Same thing happens with a rugby player. You note down every concussion, every injury that you have as a as a written record of, of what you've experienced. Because we can't rely on the system at the moment. So what's like? I mean, the diary's the solution. When do when do guys start implementing that? I'd encourage every rugby player to start now. Yeah, and and kind of just 
use it as a dump to, to dump every injury that you can think of into your book. And then moving forward, just to note down um, how your day was or, you know, and it's good just for reflection too, mm. to, to start creating awareness of how you actually feel, mm. what's going on in, in the, uh, the top two here. Um, but it's just a good way to, to protect yourself, essentially, because um, you might find yourself in this position. I never thought I'd end up in this position mm. where my career would end. Um, so, yeah, it's just something that will help protect you if that time um, comes up. Yeah, and getting back to when your career ended, like, what was the deciding factor for you to end your career, I guess? Was it a hard decision for you to walk away from the game? I know you weren't really enjoying it. You didn't feel like it was for you. Um, but what was the like medical reasoning behind the um, exit of the game, I guess? So I, I had to see a neurologist, Dr. Peter Wright in Cambridge, um, and we did all the necessary scans. Yeah. And so I went over there um, to meet up with him, and um, we kind of discussed my history of rugby and, and how many concussions I had and how I, uh, the symptoms, so on and so forth. Uh, anyway, we kind of had like a... Uh, how would you describe it? Just a, a casual conversation around what this could potentially mean for me. And he presented me with the, with the story of a two-sided coin. Um, and he said, uh, uh, yeah, you can flip the coin. Uh, heads, you walk out of my office and you have a successful career. You play um, hundreds and hundreds of games and, and be fine. Uh, the other side of the coin is that you walk out of my office, take one more head knock in your cabbage for the rest of your life. And um, that really hit home with me because... My wife and I had had plenty of these discussions, and she said, um, "I won't be wiping your ass." You know, kind of, you know, provoking me to to think deep and hard about about this because it was serious. Mm. And um, I just said to him on the spot, "Well, um, that's enough for me. I, I'll make my mind up. I'm done. Mm. I'll finish right here, right now." And um, unfortunately, I felt like that conversation was a bit off the cards, and it was reflected in his report because it was never ever stated in me. Mm. which kind of leads me to my second point around the support that we received in, in these really important appointments. Um, you know, after speaking to Rambo, he said, well, you probably could have got a second second opinion. Well, I, I never knew that. Mm. I had no one there supporting me. Um, you know, it would have been good to have a union rep there because an important decision was made right there on the spot. Mm. Um, had I known there was a second opinion to be made or to be had, I would have taken that. Because um, I, I, I could have had opportunity to, to, um, to take my whānau overseas and kind of live out my golden years and rugby type thing. Mm. You know, so there's an opportunity missed, but um, also opportunity gained um, through helping others so they don't make this mistake too. Hundred. So did you were you just going to these appointments by yourself and you just made that decision purely on yourself and then it was done? Yeah, well, a lot of the thinking and the deep thought happened prior to, to all of this. You know, I knew my head had taken a beating throughout my career. Yeah. Um, and and to, to actually, you know, from how, how that last concussion played out was that I actually didn't take a direct head knock, but yet, it, yet my head wanted to blow up. Yeah. You know, so you, alarm bells start ringing. You know, you start thinking, oh, shit, what's this going to mean? Um, you know, the, the amount of force needed to, to trigger symptoms and stuff was getting less and less. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that, that goes back to, why are players put in a position um, where they're juggling their, their life or their career? Mm. You know, there's nothing firm to say that I could have continued um, apart from myself knowing that I, I, I shouldn't. You know? so, so ultimately, players are being left to juggle their own life 
um, and their well-being later, like post-rugby. Um, we, we see it throughout rugby. Um, rugby um, all these old battlers that have played, you know, they're popping pills, all these props, they're popping pills to, to stay on the field. Yeah. You know, what about when they stop rugby? What's going to happen then? You're obviously not going to be as mobile as you were. You're not going to be involved in all these training. You know, there's a mental battle there alone. Mm. Yeah. So, so what happened? Hundred percent. Yeah, it's massive because obviously, and the later you play, a lot of these guys are getting paid massive money. Fear of uh, the unknown of post footy. Um, it's easier to just keep going and keep providing for the family and. Um, do whatever it takes, like you say. If it means taking seven anti-inflammatories a day, then uh, that's what it, that's what they'll do. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of like, oh, I've got a symptom here. Or oh, here's a pill that will look after you. Yeah. They'll take care of it, you know, so you can keep playing. Yeah. So yeah, man, it's it's a tricky one. Um, but you know, there's there's uh, you know, because rugby's been your life mm. for 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 some quite a, a substantial amount of time. Um. So so when you Cold, you go cold turkey and you, you cut yourself from rugby, from playing especially, your whole life changes, bro. Mm. It's just like, well, you think you still have to be this, this athlete, this high-level athlete and maintain your body to peak, peak physical condition. You know, you're still thrashing yourself in the cardio space. You're still pumping tin um, and you're still eating really well. Um, for me, it took me like about six years, six, seven years to finally understand that I didn't need to be a, a peak performance athlete anymore. <laughs> you know, so now so now all I do, bro, is, is yoga and a walk. Yeah. Yeah, but beforehand I thought I had to do CrossFit and like really elevate my heart heart rate and do all these things, be strong. And I was just like, for what? Mm. What am I doing that for? I, I, I don't have to perform anymore. Mm. No, but it, it took me a while. It took me a while to understand that. And, and how long was your, obviously from that last knock, how long was it before you felt that you were fully sweet again? Uh, <laughs> I say now, it's just like, oh, do, I, do I even feel fully sweet now? <laughs> what is fully sweet? <laughs> yeah, what, what even is fully sweet? Um, but yeah, probably, I don't know, maybe about a year, a year and a half after that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess that's kind of just just working through what actually happened, what unfolded, um, and, and was that the right decision? You know, did I go about it the right way? Um, all of these things, it's not so much just specifically about the head knock itself. There's everything else that comes with it, you know, like, um, same, just a holistic approach to that whole event. Mm. Now, what, the, what, the, what did that mean for my body? It meant that I couldn't exercise on a regular because symptoms would pop up. So what did that mean moving forward? What does my, my uh, exercise look like then? Um, you know, what about the food? Mm. If I'm not exercising, I'm still chowing down a lot of food, I'm going to blow out. You know, what about mentally? How, what, how does that affect you mentally, not being able to exert energy and stuff? You know, how do I find ways to exert um, what I can't through, through exercise? Mm. Um, yeah, so, so I wouldn't say it was specifically about the head knock and being right. I think it was just everything, all of the above, um, to bring me to a point of understanding and being able to step back and go, wow, that was a tough time. You did well or, or you didn't. You could do this better, you know. And did you miss did you miss rugby or like how long since you were out of the game did you sort of think far ah, I I do miss it or did you never never really got to the point where you miss playing the game? Yeah, I I, I um it often pops into mind like uh, I just miss being with the boys, yeah. and throwing a ball around, you know, all of that. It's, it's good fun. Just everything about it, you know, it was, it was a game that I really loved playing. 
Yeah, I, I actually turned off the TV. I, I didn't watch, and I, I probably still don't watch a lot of rugby today. Mm. Um, when someone gets a, a, a big heart on about the All Blacks and watching <laughs> All Blacks, I'm just like, oh, cool, bro. And then I just crack on. Um, I, I just probably just prefer to watch the highlights. Yeah. And um, yeah, just silently support the boys. But yeah, you know, rugby took up so much of my life, I, I'd hate to let it um, continue to do that. Mm. Um, doesn't mean I won't watch rugby, but. Um, there's a lot more time that I'd like to dedicate to my family and other things, to my whanau, hapu and iwi, um, as opposed to giving up uh, three or four days of the week coaching yeah. um, and rugby and even watching it. You sort of sound like you've gone on a bit of a spiritual journey post-footy as well. So how did that start and um, what was the sort of reasoning behind that? Yeah, well, we're going to take a bit of a deep dive here then if you're going to touch on spirituality. but um, are in. Yeah, man. Um, so so we kind of got to a point in our lives, and, and this was not long after uh, the first COVID lockdown, and um, things kind of hit a boiling point. You know, I was working uh, full-time, or shift work as a career firefighter. My wife was working uh, full-time, 40 hours a week, staying home looking after the kids. Um, and then, yeah, uh, a breakdown happened. And, and from that, it kind of triggered a, a bit of a, a bit of a snowball effect into what is it exactly that we want in our lives mm. and um, everything that was happening in our lives kind of wasn't a part of that. And what we did want, um, we could make it happen now or at the time. Um, so we did that, but what actually kind of triggered um, me to look within myself and sort myself out was um, I sat on the couch one night, um, blazed out of my dome, like, and I've, I've never been into drugs or anything. It was kind of like the curious cat in me kind of going, why does everyone get addicted to this? Mm. Um, so, you know, this was me just finding out. And um, I sat there, blazed out of my dome. And sitting next to me was my two girls. And I looked at them and I just, I was hit with what they exact, what they wanted from me, like exactly what they wanted from me. And it was my un, unconditional love and attention, undivided attention. And I was just like, whoa. Bro, and I just said to myself, bro, you need to sort your shit out. You need to get on top of yourself. You need to work through everything that you've been running away from. Um, and, and, and I don't want to have to be under the influence of anything to be able to feel what I just felt. Because mm. I, 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 I was uh, stone cold, bro. Honestly, my emotions were absent. Uh, I, I didn't even know what feeling was. I was so cold hearted. It wasn't funny. Yeah, I love my kids and my family, but not in a way that I can express to them now. Mm. Uh, I'm quite open. Uh, I can cry. I can be vulnerable. Um, yeah. So, so that's kind of what triggered my journey, bro. And, and um, a lot has happened since. And what does that journey look like? How do how do you how do you get into that? Like, where do you start? Uh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> my wife and I are kind of setting up a charitable trust now that that, that is entering uh, the healing space. There's no hard and fast kind of like this is how you get there mm. it is a journey and it's uh, a journey to self-discovery um, kind of yeah doing all the hard work diving deep within everything starts with self bro and um, you have to kind of take a look at what shapes you what makes you um, and make choices as to whether or not you you agree or, or that serves you um, so work through all the trauma and all the, the hurts and all of those things um, that you have to, to kind of step into you to find your true self and your your expression, um, to find your individuality, your uniqueness, 
um, to and to stand in your truth unconditionally, being you, um, and 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 in the service of others. Yeah. And is that sort of what you're doing now? Is that where you're looking to take uh, work at the moment? Is it down that sort of road? Yep, yep, it is down that road, bro. And um, I guess my wife and I have both uh, we've worked really hard over the last. Oh, I'm going to say our lifetime because yeah. everything that happened needed to happen. Um, we've now we've now reached this, uh, I guess a space where we understand our higher purpose and, and we're working to achieve it. Um, and it's definitely in the service of others. So reaching out to people or people reaching out to us. Um, to find the tools and the knowledge that they need to be able to deal with uh, whatever's going on in their lives. Um, and it's definitely a holistic approach. Um, there's no one way to attack it. And it is designed by you because ultimately you are the healer. Mm. Um, we can't tell you how to do that. You will know. It's just our job to kind of like bring the light uh, to, to shine you back on the path that you've forgotten. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all intuitively led. There's many... Uh, facets that make up knowing but uh, yeah my, my wife and I are working hard to try and put together something that's palatable and digestible for people to understand because mm-hmm. it is a journey bro and it's a long journey it's a mm-hmm. lifetime and I guess instead of looking towards something to die for uh, we've both found something to live for love that mate that's powerful stuff eh it's, um, yeah it's, it's cool bro it's, it's really cool and um, I, like at one stage in my life I never ever thought I'd find uh, this the space of enlightenment, mm. um, but but it is cool and, and and the ripple effects of it, and it's all about focusing on myself, bro. Mm. And and I know it sounds selfish the most, but it's, it's actually not, because when you are when you are focusing focusing on yourself and doing the hard work for yourself to be the better you, the best you that you can be, it's only uh, a byproduct that it ripples and flows on to the lives of those around you, your whanau, friends, and and beyond much like what you're doing jimmy you're you're touching the hearts of many many players by sharing sharing uh stories and journeys of other rugby players because no doubt people resonate with certain things mm. uh and everyone's experiences uh, and i guess that's all we can can speak from is our own lived experience anything beyond that you're kind of like yeah talking gark <laughs> <laughs> Mate, well, I'm sure there's a lot of a lot of players or um, people who are listening to this and can resonate with this and some of the stuff. Mate, it's been a pretty special hour so far, but I do have some questions that I did chuck up on the Instagram that have come in for you. So we'll get through a few of these um, before we finish. And the first one: um, Is it true that you don't ever shop at a supermarket? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So quite recently, bro, um, uh, an article came out. Um, about my time spent foraging. So I, I went three months uh, only living off uh, what I could grow, gather, uh, dive, hunt, fish. Mm. Um, I, there were no condiments, so no sauces, no nothing. All I had was salt. So for the majority of the time, I either ate it raw, steamed or boiled. Right. Um, and then, you know, I'd get uh, a bit of wild pork fat, I'd render it down, and then I had something to fry in. So that's when frying came back in. Um, and then the article, yeah. So, so a friend of mine, um, she wanted to do an article on it, and um, you know how the media works, bro. They kind of contort things and you know make it make it attractive to <laughs> yeah. the general public. And so the the I guess the title that that was there uh, had a bad plenty father swears of supermarkets or something or rather, mm. and um, that was definitely um, not out of my mouth. Yeah. Um, so it was good that I had an opportunity to speak. 
uh, I had an interview with Jono and Ben on the hips oh, yeah. um, to kind of talk to that too. And then uh, uh, interview with Jenny Mae Clarkson on breakfast one morning. Um, but yeah, no, I, I still shop at a supermarket. And but what I do lead is a, a life of plant based and seafood. Yeah, it's not pescatarian. Pescatarian still allows uh, dairy products and poultry. Mm. But so yeah, majority plant based and uh, seafood. Um, yeah, and and I, I guess there will be a stage where we will um, probably leave the supermarket behind, and this probably rolls into another journey or cope up that we have going with our food forest design, food sovereignty, um, and and unearthing and reclaiming the knowledge and whatnot that we have down here on the coast. You, if you have been following my socials, you would have seen that I put in a food forest system here with a lot of tropical fruits, papaya, cherimoya, adamoya, berries. You've got blueberries, sugarcane. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I hope to bring my family along this time because it's quite easy for me to, to live without the supermarket. But uh, in reality, it's a slow transition. You know, we're undoing generations and generations of relying on supermarkets and stuff. But yeah, yeah, I'd like to bring my family along this time. So in order for us to not be reliant on supermarkets, we have to first uh, set up systems here at home mm. that provide food for, food for us throughout the year. So you, you mentioned there that it was relatively easy for you. Um, what sort of time does it take to make sure that you, you know, you've got enough food to sort of live off? Like you're obviously out fishing, hunting or gathering a fair bit. I, mean, I guess the ease of supermarkets, what sort of makes it so tempting for everyone else? Um, well, the main reason for me was well, why, why I did go down that path was what I ingest, Yeah, you know, controlling what I ingest. And, and in supermarket foods, you have all these preservatives and who knows, chemicals used to grow the veggies and whatnot. You can't control that. Yeah. You don't know what's going into your body. And it truly is a matter of what you ingest is pretty much what makes you up. Mm. You know, so you, so that not not only limits you to what you eat, but what you hear, what you see, what you smell. You can think of all the senses, who you surround you with on social media. All of that, all of that stuff is is what you ingest, what you're taking in. Um, so you're only going to reflect that as well. Um, back to your question, yeah, yeah, it, it does take a lot of time. It does take a lot of time. But I actually, I made the decision just like that. I just said to my wife, I'm going, I'm doing this from now. So I had done no preparation whatsoever. And I guess this this kind of kind of reaches into your ability or the type of person you are, mm. because um, a lot of my community here, my family, were more than happy to help me, and and to say I did this on my own would be a joke because that was definitely not the case. I was well supported by my family and friends. Um, you know, they enabled me to to share what I had on offer, which was fish and whatnot, and in return, they'd give me fruits and vegetables that they grow mm. in their own homes. Um, it made it immersed myself. I immersed myself within the environment, you know, within the Rohe, uh, where we live. I found uh, banana plantations. I found tropical fruits. I found fruit trees. Um, I found puha, watercress, all of those things. But that was just by me connecting with the tile, by getting out there. So in the terms of what, what does it cost, it's actually expensive in, the, in, in relation to time, but not money. Yeah. And and we often hear the, the same time as money. Well, when you when you kind of understand that, um, then you know the importance or the the cost of what it is. Mm. Yeah, so I, I haven't been working for probably I don't know how long. I I finished up as a firefighter in August thirteenth uh, of August last year. Yeah. So since then I haven't been working. Um, I've just been 
putting time into one, getting myself right first, um, so then I can help others. Um, and then kind of all these different co-pop are now popped up to help support that. Mm. Very cool. Very cool. I love that. Uh, makes me want to live off the land for a couple of months. <laughs> See how I go. Although I'm a terrible hunter, terrible fisherman, but uh, could probably grow a veggie garden. <laughs> oh, and it is, bro. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. It's just starting, you know, because mm. um, by planting one vegetable or one crop, you'll then learn to grow others, you know. Mm. Um, or you can just go dive right in. But uh, I wouldn't encourage that. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you're in the position to do so. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. But there's, there's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of resources to help you. Um, but, yeah. Very cool. Okay, next question. How far does he think he could have gone with no injuries? With no injuries? Um, definitely the blacks. Yeah. I, I, I definitely see myself in the black team. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I often think too, and I know that, when everyone would go around the room and kind of ask for your aspirations and stuff like that, you know, the word oh, to be an all black was thrown around quite commonly. Yeah. And I used to say it just to kind of appease the room. Mm. Uh, I actually didn't want to be an all black. Mm. I wanted to be a jockey and win the Melbourne cup, <laughs> you know, so it was never, never an aspiration of mine, but I felt like I had to appease people. Yeah. So, so again, accommodating the opinions of others, um, and not stepping into my truth and saying, well, I actually don't want to be a rugby player. I just want to enjoy the journey and, and, and whatever that looks like it is. Mm. So so probably that would have eventuated because I would have been um, just enjoying myself in general. Yeah, but definitely the ABs, I, I felt like I could. I, I think I could probably reach, get there now, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> Right, that is cool. Love that. Love that mindset. Okay, next question. Uh, this this is from our major sponsor, Swish. Uh, if you could get a video shout out from any celebrity, who would it be and why? I don't. I don't, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough question. I'm. Yeah, my celebrities would probably be my whanau. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, for them to express their love and 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 thankfulness to me means far more than any other celebrity could give. So yeah, so so my family. Mate, that is cool. Okay, next one. How does rugby prevent the concussion issue in the game? Sort of touched on this one. Yeah, concussion. I mean, this is a bit of a rabbit hole here, Jimmy. You know, we we both know that uh, the NZRU, uh, the NZRPA are actively working to find solutions and, and pathways in which to highlight and, I guess, look after our players in that space mm. um, because it is one where... We know, and I remember looking back to Brad Weber when he took that concussion in the game. Mm. Man, that was horrific. And yet he ran out of the tunnel back onto the field. I was just like, no way should you be on that field. Yeah. Um, and then again, I, I can't help but go back to, uh, it has to be a relationship between players and the union um, and, and players actually just being honest with themselves. Um, but I think that honesty comes with actually finding out what it is they want in life. And understanding um, that rugby rugby is only a small portion of their life, mm-hmm. um, and, and I guess that would help them to make this better decisions around when it comes to to concussions and actually removing yourself from further further injury. But yeah, I, I guess education is key. Yeah, uh, how we go about that education is another another probably question to ask. Um, I guess things like this, like this podcast, and sharing my experience about a concussion and what it mean, meant for me um, would help. Um, and, and I've reached out to the NZIU as well and said that I'd be glad to, to talk about my experience with concussion. 
they had a, a few campaigns running um, that never never eventuated. Um, sweet Asmoth is still still on on the books. Um, but yeah, I, I I'd probably say that we need to take a, a leaf out of women's rugby. Um, you know, like the rugby that I see women play compared to men is one full of love and passion. You know, we know they get paid peanuts for for what they do. Um, you know, and it's reflected in the style of rugby they play. And I, and I have to give a big, big mahi, a big ups to our, our, our women in rugby. Um, I, I think they've carved a, a pathway of that, that needs to be travelled. You know, they enter rugby um, after being qualified teachers, physios, uh, policewomen, uh, so on and so forth. All these like massive professions outside of rugby, you know, their life is sorted. Mm. If, if rugby was to finish for them, that'd be totally fine. You know, they've got something on on beyond rugby. So, I mean, too often players from a young age, it's even in schools, you know, rugby academies, they're, they're stitching players up almost to fail because we know that not everyone cracks it in rugby. Mm. And, and, and when you make it, you're not necessarily going to make it when you're 18 or 17. It could happen right up until you're in your 30s, you know. Mm. So, so that time is different for, for others. It could be a matter of someone getting injured. Um, but yeah, definitely the way forward is, is through women's rugby and, and you know the, the pay disparity that they battle with um, definitely needs to be addressed because uh, I see um, real real power and, and uh, a real guiding light in women's rugby for men. Yeah, well, there's been oh. some big shifts there, I guess, with I guess now being televised, all the... Um, local NPC competition, women's game, um, televised all their games. Obviously, the Black Ferns World Cup is going to be hosted here in New Zealand. All these things, I feel like the women's game is growing, like you say, massively. Absolutely, bro. And they are great examples of the game. And as people in general, they are really lovely people. You know, the, the Sarah Gosses or Sarah Hiddenies, mm. um, your, your Ruby Tuis and, and so on and so forth. They are, they are just amazing people. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's just my thoughts anyway. Mate, and, love and I know your thoughts. I'm, that's what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've spoken to seasoned players that have like that have had the high, you know, the fame and the riches of, of rugby, kind of coming towards the end of their careers, saying, "I'm shit scared. I don't know what to do." Mm. You know, and these these are players that are, are well known. They're, they're common household names. And, and I think it's I think it's almost everyone. I think it's almost every player who starts off their rugby career early. It's uh, pretty intimidating going to the end of it and not knowing what you're going to do next. Yeah, 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 bro, for sure. And like, yeah, you know, because rugby's been all you know. Mm. And then you know, when you encounter a lot of money, then you hand it on to someone who knows how to deal with money, and you just stick to playing playing rugby. Mm. You know, a lot of a lot of people like um, I really enjoyed Snakey and 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 Tim Bateson. Yeah. They they were awesome people, bro. They they were good examples for me. Real humble, you know, had the head screwed on. They had a plan. Mm. Um, even CJ, you know, coming through the ranks, um, doing his study and making the, the Colts back at the back in that day. Mm. And then kind of entering professional rugby. Those were, were were people that I looked up to. Yeah, absolutely. It's those three. No doubt. Okay, last question. I know you've given heaps of advice throughout this podcast already, but uh, probably the most ever, to be fair. This is this has been good, but the best piece of advice you have for a Waterland listener, hit me. I mean, we all know um, what we want in life, although some people are a bit confused. That uh, you can get confused at times, but um, yeah, don't don't settle for less, man. Like you, you know what your worth is, 
um, and, and don't let anyone tell you that, you know, oh, you're only worth this much. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I guess stand, find yourself and, and stand on that um, and that'll take you a long way. Had I done that when I was, you know, back uh, back as a little 17-year-old, mm. things may have, may have been different. Um, but just uh, definitely you have to enjoy the journey. Um, kind of, we know whether it's positive or negative, step back and appreciate uh, what learning is on offer. Mm. Um, that'll that'll do you a great deal moving forward. Um, but yeah, oh, don't be scared to reach out as well. Help is always um, available when you ask, and um, don't be scared to to put yourself in in a state of vulnerability. We we are sharing your deep emotions. So that's I guess that's the true help that you that you want, and you're not going to get it unless you ask. Um, uh, yeah, mate. Not one piece of advice. I think we got about four, or five pieces of advice <laughs> there. We are lucky. You are lucky, listeners, to being able to get that priceless piece of advice in there from Papa Farawera, one of the absolute great lads. Been a been a pleasure having you on the podcast, mate. I I know once you re- reached out, I knew um, you would have had plenty to talk about, and mate, there's some real good discussion there. Um, some really good stuff around concussion, your purpose, all these sort of things. It's uh, It was a really cool yarn. So really appreciate you coming on the podcast, bro. Uh, wish you all the best with whatever's next in your journey. Thank you, Jimmy. And uh, I'd like to take the time to, to, to show my gratitude and, and thanks towards you, bro. Um, the money that you do in the space is awesome to, to hear stories, the different stories of all our brothers playing rugby. Um, it's just amazing, you know. It, it definitely resonates with a lot of people. I've watched a few of them, and yep, it, it definitely touched me. Um, yeah, but uh, I'd also like to take this opportunity to, to I guess, reach out for support mm. um, with my application. Um, I, I know people may have found themselves in a similar position to me, where I've got a good case, but I'm lacking evidence. Um, so, if you're wanting to support this cause, because it's not just it's about me. It's about um, the future of, of rugby player and also those uh, in the past who have kind of felt their voice was, was heard on deaf ears. Mm. Um, so, yeah, um, happy to, to talk and, and to discuss uh, what that looked like for you. And then I'm happy to, to be your voice at the table uh, when the time comes. How do, how do people um, how do people get in touch? How do people uh, show their support or get in touch with you? Uh, reach out on my socials, uh, Facebook or Instagram. Uh, or you can send me an email. Uh, maybe you could check a link, my email on, on the link. I will do that um, for sure. But yeah, Papa Whareira um, on my socials. Uh, but yeah, sweet ass. Absolutely. Appreciate it, man. All good, bro. Thank you.